This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hey everybody, what's up? Practical Spirituality and live webinar tonight. I'm uh, just going to support at RabbiYomTov.com or just go on my website, RabbiYomTov.com and sign up for the live webinar tonight. Um, what I've been doing is this kind of format, these classes, but the people like you guys get to interact, so now I'm doing that online with full interaction. Uh, with lots of cubicles of people who get to like say, I got a question, and so it's a lot better than just watching this. And so we've been doing that. Um, okay, so we're we're talking about for some reason we're talking about uh, the prophecy at Sinai, uh, which is like I'm reluctant to talk too much about because sometimes I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm jumping the gun a little bit on people who aren't even sure there's a God, but. Looking at this classroom, I think we'll do it anyway. Um, so we, we, when we think about national revelation, the prophecy at Sinai, so we're usually thinking that whatever God said, he said to everybody. And he did, but the way it was heard by each person was totally different than the... Um, each person heard it their way. We all, everyone heard it in their words. And... Which makes sense anyway. I mean, has anyone ever spoken to you where you didn't hear it your way? I mean, we're always hearing things our way. And so, and which is funny, I would never have thought God had that issue of like, you know, misinterpreted things. But, but, you know, we all do hear things in our way. And so the prophecy at Sinai was the same. Now there's a, there's a lot of discrepancy on what it is we heard exactly. Um, regarding whether we heard details or just themes. What, did we just get the main theme? Or did we also get the details? Now, uh, let me break that all down. First of all, the actual revelation was two things. That's for sure. It was just two things and no details. And those two things were, I'm God, and the other one was, uh, don't ascribe power to anything else. Like, I'm God, no intermediaries. Now, think about this. This is your 2448 from Adam's birth. So it's 2448, 2448 years. Two and a half millennia of people going to mediums as opposed to going, meaning going to deities. Now, deities are super powerful. I understand what they're doing because anyone who knows anything about divinity knows that there is highly, you know, mystical realities that are between uh, what we could say is the the... There's God, then there's the metaphysical, meaning that that's the divine world, and then there's the physical, which is where we live. So there's a metaphysical, and then there's the physical. Now, these are all within the realm of the finite. These are the realms of the finite. Okay? These are in the realm of finite. But above there is not. Now, growing up in school, you probably were always thinking that finite was limited by space and time and infinite beyond space and time. But there's actually two levels of finite. There's the physical and the metaphysical. The metaphysical, even though it's not limited at all by space and time, is not infinite. It's a creation. And once you're a creation, you are, you are um, within a border, limit, boundary, even though it's purely spiritual. See, a lot of us hadn't confused this because we think spirituality has, and it does, has to do with the divine. But Judaism says that is very spiritual, but there's God. 
who's the he's the projector of it all. Like God's projecting a metaphysical world that ultimately weaves its way into physicality, the physical world. And this starts in a super tenuous light oriented realm called the, the higher level metaphysical. And then later it moves into the separate realm, which is also part of the metaphysical, where it starts to weave its way into physicality. So it's a process of, of, of this being called God, which no one has any idea what that is. I mean, that's like, we'd never know what that is. That's why, uh, that's why you know, when people, kids will say, like, who made, well, who made God? You know, you're like, who created God? But you're, you're still in the mindset that God's a thing. God's not a thing. You know, when you say who made God, so you're automatically positing that God's an, a, a thing. God's not a thing. God's what made things. God's not a thing, otherwise known as no thing. Okay, not nothing, but no thing. He's not a thing. So once God's not a thing, well, then you're not discussing when it was made because there's no it for it to be ever made. It is beyond our wildest comprehension. We'll never know what it is. But somehow it's projecting. It projects. And what it projects is then filtered out via two levels of metaphysical realms. One super tenuous, super spiritual, um, you could call it holographic in nature, if you know anything about physics. And then a, a lower level of metaphysical, which is more what people who are like, for example, a shaman or any kind of uh, spiritual leader would be, um, they would understand the addresses in this world. They wouldn't have much of a clue about this level. But they would have more of a clue about this level which is part of the metaphysical. Ultimately weaving its way into our physical world. Now, all, all of this, what people call spirituality in Judaism, is called the intermediate, intermediate world. And our relationships to God. Now, this is really cute, too, because, like, uh, raise your hand if you grew up in yeshiva, like someone went to yeshiva in high school. and Nobody here? Hey, that's amazing. Oh, you did? Okay, come and uh, raise your hand if you were in seminaries as a girl, like anyone went to seminaries. So here's the cute thing about it, is you can have like some like massive spiritual dynamo who's been, been literally like trained and coddled his whole life to understand the, the metaphysics. Like he's a total hardcore guru from childhood. You know, didn't even speak his first 10 years or whatever, you know, meaning 10 years of training. He had to go into silence for the first 10 years of training. And, and now he's like this massive guru. So meanwhile, you got this seminary girl who's like, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Ha'elan Borei Pri Ha'etz and eats her apple. This seminary girl is like, you know where she's hanging out? She's hanging out up here. And meanwhile, Mr. You know, you know, guru guy is, you know, he's right about here. Okay? That's where he's hanging out. So she's like cutting the chase. It would be like being the daughter of the CEO of Bank of America. Okay, if you're the daughter of the CEO of Bank of America and you need checks, you know, checkbooks, you don't go to a teller. You just call your father. You're like, Dad, I need checkbooks. And he's like, and he'd be mad. He'd be like, P.O. You know, like, you, you know, he says to you, so did you give the tuition? And you're like, nah, I couldn't give it today. The deadline was today. So you have a checkbooks don't arrive for three days. You know, and you order a checkbook, it takes three days to arrive. Like, I'm the CEO of the company. You know, like, what's up? You know, and so he'd be angry. And so too, it says God gets angry when we go for intermediaries. 
it gets God angry. Now, some of us would say, well, that's kind of petty, God being angry. No, the reason God gets angry is because he's, he's your father, and you can't, meaning he's the father of creation, and you just keep going to the tellers. You know, he's like chopped liver. And what am I, chopped liver? Keep going to the tellers. So meanwhile, the, the, the uh, seminary girl just makes a blessing on her apple. You know, meanwhile, this guy knows where apples are grown. In the, in the meaning, in that realm, he knows where apples come from. You know, she doesn't know where apples come from. She knows she wants them an apple, and she's not going to eat it without making a blessing. But when she makes that blessing, which happens to mention both, Baruch Hashem, and then the word Elokeinu is God in the divine. That's why we have it. That's why it's plural. Elokeinu is plural. Like Yelid, singular, Yeladim, boys or children, plural. So, we have Hashem, which is a singular being, that we have no idea what that is. It's not physical or native anything. It doesn't begin or end. And, but then Elohim does begin. That's the pluris, plural world. That's how God manifests in the physical world. So the diviner is all about the Elohim world. Except here's the crazy thing. Is if you don't know about God, meaning if, or at least you don't have a relationship with God, so you start thinking, this is where the power comes from that the power is coming from here. And that's the mistake of idolatry. Is a scri- that's, the, that's the second commandment at Sinai. The first was, is that I am God, like meaning I'm this like inconceivable, massive being that somehow created the world. Don't go to the teller. Don't speak to the teller. Come to the CEO. And when you speak to the teller, I get jealous. Now, the Torah says very clearly that God says, I'm a jealous God. Also sounds petty, angry, jealous. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a wife. Yeah? <laughs> God's angry and jealous. And that's like every wife of a workaholic. So, angry and jealous. Created the whole world with his words. Now, the um, anyway, those are pretty petty. I'll give you an example of how petty it can be. Oprah Winfrey, uh, the great you know talk show host, producer, and you know uh, whatever everyone knows Oprah. Anyway, Oprah's a hero to our whole society. Obviously, if she was Republican, she'd be the next president. And the... She wants to vote. Though. What? What's that? She's going to run it as a Democrat. She will not be the next president. So, anyway, the... Um, anyway, Oprah, on her own show, called Oprah. She's kind of like Trump. You know, he names everything after him. She names everything after himself. Anyway, on her show called Oprah... Uh, she is a nice spot right there if you want to grab that seat right there. So, so Oprah, listen to this. She, now, she happened to be, she happened to have a new guru, which she wasn't being so public about at the time. And uh, I happened to know her, her, her new guru was and is. She never left him. She's been with him for years now. Anyway, but she had a new guru. But she announces publicly, she, sorry, renounces publicly her affiliation with Christianity, which is like, 
really not good for an American network. You know, like you're not supposed to like in America, a Christian country, and you're Oprah. You don't publicly renounce your affiliation to Christianity. You know, I'm sorry. The only oh, there's a seat right there. But she did, and she gives her reason why. She says the reason why is because the Torah says, those are the Bibles, I mean, she didn't use the Torah, because the Bible says that God is a jealous God. And she was thinking, well, that's just the most petty thing in the world. So, like, I don't believe in such a God. Like, any, any God that's out there has got to be, like, way bigger than jealousy, because jealousy is small. And God is big. And so when it says God is a jealous God in, in the Bible, well, I'm out, she said. And she takes off, and that's it. Now, the truth is she was really already with this guru, who's much more of an Eastern tradition. He's one of the greatest teachers in the world today. His name's Eckhart Tolle, who's like, you know, he is like the be-all and end-all of, of, uh, of spirituality. In the, you know, mid to late 2010 to 2018, he is top-notch and highly recommended. He's really something special. Um, now, he does quote Christianity a lot in his books, but, but he's really only doing so to, like, siphon off Christians, you know, away from, away from uh, you know, basically deities. Like, get away from deities. Like, no deities. And, um, but I can't say he's really a big advocate of God either. He's amazing when he talks about God. Amazing. But he does not know his ass from his elbow when it comes to <laughs> Judaism. Like, nothing. I've never seen a greater intellectual person live in the world, like, out there. Like, you know, one part of this intellectual dark web. Who knows Zippo about Judaism? It's embarrassing. When I read it, it's embarrassing, you know, what he's doing. But, uh, but in the end, he quotes a lot of, uh, of the New Testicle because... <laughs> Did I just say that? Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, he, he quotes the New Testament a lot to, to basically to siphon Christians away from Christianity and into reality. Okay? So that's just his little... That's his little secret secret deal over there. What's up? Whoa, welcome home. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a hug moment. <laughs> wow. Uh, grab a seat and see right here. Sorry. You can put your foot up here. Anyway, that was just a hug moment. Um, Ezra's a dear, dear, dear student. Welcome back. Thank you. Here comes the next contestant. Welcome. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, the last seat's right next to me. It's, oh, no, uh, maybe pull that chair out. Yeah, we're getting cozier and cozier in this little bomb shelter. But it's nice to come to Israel and learn in a bomb shelter, you know. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> like studying in a bomb shelter. And, uh, and anyone watching this live, I apologize about the ambient noise, but there's an air conditioning fan, you know, just never seems to go away. You probably didn't notice it after a while, but I notice it all the time. I work in music studios. This is like fingernails on a chalkboard. We were talking now that that makes us more concentrated. It is, but we've been using it as a subliminal, um, a, a subliminal, uh, what do we, uh, hypnosis thing. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's a loop that's saying that, that Judaism is true. 
Okay, anyway. It is kind of cute how bad we are at marketing, you know. Imagine imagine we like went to Coca-Cola's firm, like their marketing firm, and like or Acura or you know, Toyota, you know, these giant firms and we're like trying to sell like yeah, we would like to present Judaism to the world. And so they're like, Okay, well tell us some of the details. And we're like, Well, there's there's six hundred and thirteen commandments, which splits into fifty five thousand laws and you know, which most of them are what not to do. And you know, after a while they would just throw us out. They're like like just go away. Just go away. Like you're it's an unmarkable proposition here, you know. There's just no way. Which really makes all the people in this room uh, questionable. Like, what are you doing here exactly? <laughs> We're going to be asking a lot of questions outside this room with a lineup of federal agents. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> okay. Um, anyway. Since I brought that up, I know I mentioned this once in a while, but I do want to mention that that we all love don't do's. We love don't do's. We love um, things when it says not to do something. I know you think it's like un-American for someone to tell you what not to do, but it, you love not to do. You just love, like like don't drive without a seatbelt. You're you're good with that, right? And uh, and don't don't rubberneck the waitress when you're out with your girlfriend or spouse. You know, that's a good don't do. That, that certainly ruins ambiance. Yeah? And, and don't have your cell phone on the movie theater. Like, I think we, we like don't do's like that. And don't drive the wrong way on a highway. <laughs> that's a good one, too. And, uh, but the list just keeps going on and on and on and on. You know, don't go to sleep with the light on. You know? <laughs> don't, don't paddle out in 30-foot waves before at least three Hawaiians have entered the water. I, I tried that. You know, don't do that. You know, and I, that was almost the end of me. I, I was revived on the shore after being dragged three quarters of a mile underwater by five of the biggest waves like anyone had ever seen. You know, don't do, there's a lot of don't do's and we love those don't do's and those create the possibility for all the stuff we love. Think about it, anything you love, like things you're into, has a lot of don't do's. You know, don't open an, don't open a, an expensive bottle of wine and just start drinking. You know, air it out for a couple hours. You know. What is that wave thing like true? What? No, I, I was I I was uh, I was a big wave rider. I, I surfed for forty years, but most of those years were big wave riding. So big wave riding, you don't paddle out till you see some Hawaiians in the water. It's also nice when you see those little Hawaiians in the water. Is it gives you a little perspective of how big the waves. are. Because it's really hard to see three quarters of a mile how big the waves are. And having a couple of Hawaiians bobbing around adds perspective. But of course, you know, they're watching us white boys jumping off the cliffs into the water. You know, like we figure, well, there's no way we're ever going to get out there. So, but what if we like go to the edge of the cliffs, way deep in the ocean, and then when the 30 footer comes by, we'll jump onto the back of the wave. You know, as it comes by the 30 foot cliff, we'll just. Hop off the cliff. Can you imagine the Hawaiians were watching us just going like, 
die. You know, it, it was three of us. I think they just dug three holes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It really was not pretty how that went. I'll never. And I didn't know enough Judaism to say Shema Yisrael. <laughs> I didn't know you're supposed to say Shema. But there is one moment where the three of us looked at each other when we realized it was over. And it was such a moment. Like all three of us met eyes and just said, Goodbye. <laughs> and amazing, we all wound up in different places. One guy wound up against those same cliffs. I mean, we, we paddled to the actual spot. But one guy wound up at those same cliffs. He was all cut up. I was unconscious in the middle of the bank. We were all together. And the third guy was in the north of the bay, also unconscious. You know, also dragged underwater. But good fun. Now, um, anyway, we love don't do's. We love don't do's. And just while I'm on that subject, just one more thing is that whole thing. And I mentioned this to you guys on Sunday, was that, was that, uh, that Judaism is going to take away the things I love. It is so not true. It's ridiculous. I mean, people, you'd think, I lived a pretty extreme lifestyle before I became observant, but it was like quite extreme, you know, like, like I, there was not a lot I wouldn't do in those days, and, and the craziest thing is that everything I did, all that crazy stuff, is completely permitted in Judaism, like for example, I was a rock guitar player, lead guitar player, and the lead singer, today I play concerts, I, I'm a professional musician, play concerts, lead singing, I was really into beer, I'm still really into beer, Okay, um, I was into sports, kosher, still into sports. Uh, like you name it, whatever I was into, you know, I was into partying all night Thursday nights, yeah, uh, and various nights. I still party all night a lot. You know, we we get pretty crazy here in Jerusalem. Anyone been in town Thursday night? Yeah, see what's going on out there. Yeah, well, so now I'm obviously the, I'm the rabbi of a pub <laughs> in town, so. You know, I just kind of sit there and bless people the whole night. You know, it's pretty amazing. And I meet a lot of internationals who are like, after I give them their blessing, you know, they're here on like, who knows who they're with. They're with some like human rights organization, but we're told to go to the beer bazaar, you know, Thursday night. And anyway, by the end of the blessing, they just kind of look at me like, no, I'm really conflicted. You know, I came here to like support the Palestinians and now I'm getting blessings from Hasidic rabbis and pubs. And, and I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> so, anyway, but it's all permitted. You know, the last thing that you might say that Judaism would prohibit is is perhaps you'd say sexuality, but it's quite the opposite. Like Judaism, you know, th this is hardcore breeding going on over here. And, uh, and, and unlike the secular world, where uh, according to one study, which was printed in a Newsweek article, that people after 10 years of marriage cohabitate with their spouse once every six weeks. That's, a, that's how bad it gets. Whereas Judaism sanctions, you can never ever cohabitate with your spouse less than twice a week for your entire married life. You're never allowed to go less than twice a week. Well, if you, if you check that out over an entire year, that means that, that the observant Jews are together with their spouse 12 times the amount of their secular counterparts at 10 years of marriage. But, it, but imagine where the once every six week people go after 20 years of marriage, after 30 years of marriage. I mean, it's like, it's like a terrible, terrible proposition to remain secular and married. 
Now, by the way, I'm not necessarily saying they're not cohabitating. They're just not cohabitating with their spouse, according to these numbers. Now, in Judaism, it's, it's never less than twice a week, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. It's the law. You can't be less than that with your spouse. So, it's like, you know, meaning, meaning if you're at Pacific Coast Highway, where I grew up, you're, you're, you're looking at Pacific Coast Highway and there's this guy, you know, you know, souped up engine in his convertible Ferrari or whatever, and he's got his, like, trophy wife there, you know, and, and there they are, you know, they're like Ken and Barbie. You know, meanwhile, the local Chabad rabbi, who's like 400 pounds, you know, is like, well, he's walking to synagogue, like, three miles, you know, uh, on Pacific Coast Highway to get to, like, Chabad of Malibu. You know, and he's, like, schwitzing and, like, you know. You know, you, you, so if you were standing on the street corner there, you're looking, like, you're looking at, like, the ultimate image of, like, of, like, sexual prowess and with the Lamborghini. And then you got, like, Mr., like, you know, Kugel over here. You know, who filled the fish in his beard for, like, storage. You know, he figured it wasn't carrying, you know. And, and the, <laughs> but meanwhile, like when you flip the reality show here, you know, he's the guy with 14 kids and Ken and Barbie are like still deciding, <laughs> still deciding if they like each other enough, you know, so, okay, enough of all that. So Oprah gives up her, her gives up her connection to Christianity on internationally live live television. Like boom, you know, gives it up because God's a jealous God. Now, first of all, let's just talk about how petty that is, because God being a jealous God is one of the more beautiful things. Because there's two forms of jealousy. One form of jealousy is really what's a different word entirely in Judaism. So we got to distinguish jealousy, meaning if we if we made a Venn diagram here, I think that would make things clear. There is something of jealousy which is called coveting. To covet. Yeah? Covet. And then there's another one which is to be jealous. Uh, anyone know how to spell jealous? Jealous. Jealous. So... One is to covet when now, now when you covet someone's stuff, that's petty. That's petty because because that guy's stuff is that guy's stuff, or that person's looks or that person's body or that person's family, you know, position or whatever. To to covet that's ridiculous, and 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 it's also it's one of the Ten Commandments. Like, don't covet people's stuff. Including their spouses, like that's that that hit the top ten list. Okay, one sec. Whereas jealousy is very different. Jealousy is like this, and we use them interchangeably, but you shouldn't. Um, jealousy is that is that I am so crazy about so and so that I'm unwilling to share them. That's jealousy. You get that? I'm so crazy about so and so I'm unwilling to share them. Like my wife's a writer. Now, when your wife's a writer, you're constantly sharing her, because they writers love writing, and and like she likes me a lot, but she loves writing, okay? And and 
she she does love me, but if she had a choice between like hanging out with me or writing, she'd be like, and then go write. So, <laughs> so, but I want all of this woman, you know, I want all of her, and it's hard for me to share her with her Mac MacBook Air or whatever that thing is, you know, like it's hard for me to share her with that. And, and she wants all of me. And like, what do you think she'd prefer? That I'm home right now eating an omelet sandwich that she made while she sits on the other side of the table just going like. <laughs> or standing in front of you bozos. Yeah, so, no offense. So, <laughs> no offense, obviously. So <laughs> she wants all of me. And sharing me with the Jewish people and with, especially with WhatsApp, where I'm like totally reachable, you know, is it, it's like terrible for her. But it's a testimony of her love. You get that? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want her to have those feelings. I want her to get jealous of every time that thing, my smartphone buzzes, and it's like an, it's like a knife in her heart. You know, I, I I don't want knives in her heart, and I certainly put it on do not disturb before on a date. But the fact that it hurts her. Is a, is a testimony of her love. And so, and so jealousy is one of the most beautiful things there is. It's one of the most beautiful things there is. Jealousy is amazing. And, and she just totally missed that. She just totally missed, Oprah missed that. You know, she just totally missed that. Now, I know her guru, Eckhart Tolle, is like, he's, so, he's on such a big God perspective that it would never enter this realm of, like he would never be discussing God as a jealous God. But then again, um, God as involved creator is a very Jewish thing. Whereas Eastern traditions, as well as a lot of Aboriginal traditions, they all believe in God. And you guys maybe don't know this. Like Hindus believe in God. The same God we believe in, meaning God. They believe in God. They just would never imagine that you could talk to them. Because once you start understanding the massive detail in the metaphysical world, you start to get into a state of awe. Like if I could suddenly show it to you right now, if I could somehow show you even the beginnings of the metaphysical world right now, all of your bodies would go into convulsions and you'd throw up everything you've eaten in the last 24 hours. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Every single person in this room would be throwing up right now. Which is so weird <laughs> and really gross. <laughs> it's really gross, but it's really true. You would all toss your cookies right now and you you also would not be on your chairs you would all be on the floor and because there's so many of you you'd be all over each other throwing up <laughs> which would be super gross um, but that's what would be happening that's what would happen to all of you just like that boom now and that's only getting like right beyond the line like that's just entering like you're you're in the corridor you haven't really gone very far there and you're already like completely losing it and and there are realms above that, and above that, and above that, and above, and it just keeps going. Now, obviously, there's a point where humans don't have access, meaning you wouldn't live through it. But meaning the the heart would go. I mean, you already here, you'd be seizing, like you'd be having seizures, and and then there'd be parts where you'd be just you just turn off, like your body would turn off, and your soul would leap out of your body. And interestingly, at Sinai. 
the, uh, we have a tradition that everyone's souls leap down to their bodies. Because prophecy is when God takes a drill bit. How am I going to draw a drill bit here? It's where God just takes a drill bit and just like drills straight into the physical and just goes like, that's prophecy. Now, normally to be a prophet, you had to train, 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 and then God would blow you away. There were only two, there were millions of prophets, but only two were the, could stand and stay composed. The rest of them were rolling around all over the place, and they'd come up bruised and scratched, and their clothes were finished after prophecy. Probably throwing up as well. I mean, it wasn't pretty. Prophecy was not glamorous. And uh, anyway, those two prophets were Moses and Samuel, the prophet, buried right here in Jerusalem, uh, the highest point, one of the more beautiful views you can see. Shmuel and Avi. Anyway, what's that? They say only those two. So I guess Isaiah and Eliyahu were also rolling around. Did you hear they were able to stay composed? Where on Mount Carmel? Oh, like that? Oh, yeah, he, he, that was his death, which was not much of a death. They say he didn't even die. He just, just flew off in like a chariot of horses with fire and stuff into the next realm. But, but, uh, but yeah, he when he prophesied, apparently he went convulsive also. He wasn't composed. Yeah. Anyway, um, how do we get back here? Well, that's a drill bit. That's the sign I drill bit. But we were on jealousy. Oprah. Jealousy. Anyway, but you get that God being a jealous God is a really beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Now, I would like to discuss how it's not so great for us. Because what happens with jealousy? Now, just imagine that I did not turn my phone off and I'm on a date with my wife. <laughs> so it's just buzzing away. And I go, oh, this one's really important. This in Israel means wait. So I keep going like this to my wife. So what were we talking about? Imagine that. And she's like, just like after like smoke's coming out of her ears. And then she's finally like, well, I got to go to the bathroom. She goes to the bathroom while she's in the bathroom. Of course, now I'm free to be. So I'm like, look, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden I get this like, you know, suicide attempt. Rabbi Glazer, we need you at such and such hotel. You know, it's King David Hotel. Some, some rich guys decided to jump off the roof and the manager of the hotel knows you're the man. So, so and I'm like, a suicide. I can say to the waiter, like, tell my wife. I'm sorry. She comes out of the bathroom. <laughs> Is this story? It's happened. Yeah, wow. yeah it's happened. Um, not the part of me having my phone on the whole meal. That's not a real story. But um, but I have had um, I have been reached in emergencies, and she's come out of the bathroom and I'm gone because suicides. I've never lost a person, so I'm known for for I'm the guy for the suicides. Yeah. So. Anyway, the, uh, well, the, I say I never lost the person, but there is one person I'm not sure. Because the, I kept them on the phone all, like they, the person gave them the, my number, thank God they called. So I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. Friday, I'm like on my way to Miron, the up north, where across from Spot, you know when you're in Spot, there's those two beautiful mountains in the distance. So, so at the, at the around midway up the mountain is the tomb of the author of the Zohar, the Kabbalah. 
So I was there for Shabbat. You know, I'm talking to this guy, and now it's like one minute to Shabbat. I'm like, listen, I'm on the phone with you for two hours. Do me a favor. Don't kill yourself till Saturday night. <laughs> because I'm not allowed to stop talking to you, because life and death, I can't. You know, but I've been keeping Shabbos now for 27 years. I've never broken it. Do me a favor. Let me keep Shabbat. I stayed with the phone two hours. My kids were in the car. I was like, they had to, my kids have a training, I'll tell you that. And it was on speakerphone, you know. Okay. And so I'm like, let me keep Shabbat. You know, I just want to keep Shabbat. I have no idea who this guy is. And he says, fine, I won't do anything until Saturday night. <laughs> we hang out the phone I come back to my room like normally I keep Shabbat like way into Saturday night like I'm the last guy to do Havdalah so but so I'm just I'm, I normally keep Shabbat late but I had no choice I had to run the second it was three stars in the sky I ran to my phone and guess what it was stolen oh my gosh so that's the only one I don't know about can you imagine being the guy who stole that phone? <laughs> I've been to the foo who stole that phone. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing, you know, in life. You know, that, that poor guy is like, he's just thinking like, cool, man, iPhone. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, like, <laughs> So, anyway, but I never lost a guy, and there's one doubt. So... Don't mess with people's iPhones. Now, the, um, where are we holding? Why are we talking about this? No, we did that. Did I make a Venn diagram? Oh, no, the, it was just that we confused them. That's all. That we blur them. They get blurred in the middle. Um, why, why are we talking about, oh, yeah, we're on jealousy. There was something I was going to say about, oh, is that, how angry would my wife be? That's what I want to say. How angry would she be coming out of the rest, out of the bathroom in the restaurant after that meal that was not a meal? How angry? Very, very angry. Now we're back. Now we're on anger. We said God's a jealous God, but we also said God's an angry God. Jealousy and anger go together. Okay? As they say in Hebrew, kina vesina. Kina vesina. Jealousy and anger, they go together. So, I know sina doesn't mean anger, but it means hatred. Enough anger, you start to hate somebody. But think how much you hate somebody. Like I've, I've, I've had to deal with women who want to divorce their husbands and they hate him now. I mean, the same guy they were loving and got married to now they hate. I always know that hate is love. It's love turned to hate. And, but it's made of love. The hate's made of love. It's just that, you know, after their heart was put through enough egg slice angles, you know, it's turned to hatred. But it's made of love, because her heart's in that egg slicer. She had given her heart. And once you give your heart, in a way of getting it back. Now, so God 
is also called the God of wrath. God of wrath. And you imagine, I'm sure, I mean, she, Oprah only mentioned jealousy, but I imagine wrath. She wasn't, she didn't think wrath was great either. And again, Eckhart Tolle is certainly not talking about God's wrath in any of his books, you know. So, but then you got wrath. And wrath is a beautiful thing. Meaning, meaning God's so crazy about you that he's just gonna, he's just gonna slam you. And God forbid no one should get slammed. But he can get PO'd. Angry God. Because he's crazy about you. It's like the father is the CEO, gets angry at his daughter for ordering checkbooks from a teller. He's the CEO of the bank. She, and she missed the date of her tuition because she had a three-day wait for checkbooks. So God gets angry, and he's got, and he can be pretty wrathful. You know, a boy chased a ball into the street, and you know the car is like, and the guy yells out the window, "You idiot!" You know, like, don't chase balls in the street. A couple minutes later, the ball rolls in the street. The ball goes running out. The guy, guy. Yelling at the kid, you know, drives off. Another time, the ball goes in the street, and the boy goes running out after the ball. And the boy's already used to this, so he just grabs the ball. He's not even going to listen to the guy yelling, except this time the guy gets out of the car. And the boy's like, uh oh. And he just starts taking off back into the park, and the guy just goes like, and this big old guy's chasing after the kid, and he's going everywhere. He's chasing him, chasing him. He finally grabs the kid. I mean, the kid, the guy's faster than the kid. He finally catches the kid, rips him up, throws him down on the grass, flips him over, and just wham, wham, wham. He's spanking the hell out of the kid. Imagine people with their iPhones. Oh, sorry, people don't know how to video on iPhones. It's always vertical, so we can completely not understand news stories. So, anyway, wham, wham, wham. And, and of course, people come running over this guy ready to kill this man. You know, like, there's abuse. Like, what are you doing to this kid? And he's like, I'm his father. I'm his father. The other ones yelled at the kid, this, this is a father. He loves his kid. Doesn't want to see him. Doesn't want to see him dying car crash, chasing balls. Now I'd like to share with you in uh, our closing remarks that, uh, that this is going to be one of the crazier things you've ever heard, but that the Gentiles are God's girlfriend and the Jews are God's wife. Okay? The Gentiles, God's, I mean, a lot of people love girlfriends, you know. So the Gentiles are God's girlfriends. A lot of guys love their girlfriend. You know, that's cool. So it's not like God doesn't love Gentiles. So the Gentiles of the world are God's girlfriend, but the Jews are God's wife. Now, what is the difference between a girlfriend and a wife? Now, when I answer that question, think about that. What's the difference between a girlfriend and a wife when it comes to intimacy? You want to answer that one? You're, you're correct. Commitment. Okay, commitment. For sure, that is the difference. That is the difference. There's other differences too, like love and fear. Every relationship has love and fear. 
like we love our parents, but we also afraid of like getting them angry and like messing up our relationship with them. Every relationship is love and fear, except for boyfriend and girlfriend. <coughs> but when it comes to intimacy, the difference between boy, difference between girlfriend and wife. <laughs> My water went down the wrong pipe. <coughs> the difference between girlfriend and wife when it comes to intimacy and now when I answer this question the difference I'm discussing this whole discussion is pre-1967 okay this is before the sexual revolution because before the sexual revolution a girlfriend held her meaning it was after women's liberation so all the feminine cards they've already given up meaning they want to be like men so every feminine card they got, they gave up, but they still held on to one for about 17 years, meaning from 1950 till 1967, which was the whole hippie, you know, Vietnam, LSD, free love, you know, the sexual revolution, Beatles. So, but the one card they held on to was, was no tiki, no washi, meaning, uh, meaning no sexual favors without a, an insurance policy for my heart which is called a wedding band. In other words, no premarital sexual relations. So for, for, and this is like one of the most ancient cards that women have ever held, because they had to hold it. Today, a woman can make it on her own, but throughout history, you know, your father couldn't afford you forever, so he handed you off to a husband who then supported you, took care of you, sheltered you, protected you from predators. So women couldn't make it on their own. And so the only card they had to make sure they wouldn't wind up on their own, which is exactly what wound up happening, but the only card they had to make sure they wouldn't wind up on their own was that card, was no sexual favors without an insurance policy on my finger. And for my heart, you know, for my life, like I need insurance because that's all I've got. In those days, also protecting virginity was of a high level, which still is in the Jewish world, but, but that was also a very high commodity in uh, marriage, to, meaning to make you fit for marriage. Not that someone who isn't can't, but certainly traditionally, in every tradition, Jew, Gentile, high commodity. Now, the, um, anyway, but in the, in the sexual revolution, they dropped the card. They want to be like men. So what are men? Men are like slime bags, you know, men are, 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 are you know, they're, they're, they're basically slime bags, yeah, and so, so the women were like, we're not slime bags, we want to be just like them, but not slime bags, but then in 67, they're like, why do they get to fool around and we got to be like good, and so they just, they gave the card, and, the, and I pity the girl who grows up in a home where they were thrown to the wolves by their own parents, thinking like, oh, you go play marriage for a while, and then you get married later, you go play marriage. There's no play marriage. You know, that's, there's other things you can role play, one of them's not marriage. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good way to wind up not married for, until you're 40. So, okay, we're, oh, it's after four. Let me just finish the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. So, so the... But throughout history, a girlfriend, you know, going towards marriage, doesn't give that card. 
until the marriage. That card's not, she's not gonna give that card until she's got her insurance policy. Now, if a guy catches his, you know, he's been on a trip for a week, he went to Vegas for a week for a convention, he comes back and finds, he comes back early to surprise his girlfriend, and he knows, you know, he has a key to her house and stuff, to her apartment. He goes into the apartment and guess what? You know, bad news. You know, when he goes in to wake her up, he wasn't just waking her up, let's say. He was waking up her and someone else. And uh, what, he, what he's going to do is he's going to go out, buy a 12-pack of beer, and wrap his car around a tree. But a husband of a wife, where he's giving her everything. She's sleeping in the bed he bought. She's wearing the, the clothing that he bought. He, she, her body's fed by the, by the food he brings home. He's, he's sacrificed everything for her. Meaning, meaning he's totally exposed himself. Which is one of the big differences in girlfriend and boyfriend. And spouse is girlfriend. You don't totally expose yourself to someone who is not yet safe. And no one's safe without a wedding ring. Because they can always choose to say, you know what? I think we need to rethink this relationship. You don't do that in marriage. When you got a wedding man, there's no rethinking things. You can rethink till you get married, but you don't rethink after you get married. So when it, when when the with the girlfriend thing. So yeah, he's jealous. Yeah, he's angry, and so he goes and gets drunk and crashes his car. But when it's the spouse, which is full disclosure, it's total vulnerability, total revealing of your innermost vulnerabilities, where you've given everything, you've left nothing out. So that's when the guy breaks out a shotgun and everybody's going to die. <laughs> right? That's when you hear those stories. Those stories are usually, you hear those stories in the news. They're usually not boyfriend-girlfriend issues. Boy, that is not the boyfriend-girlfriend scenario where everyone dies. Everyone dies as the spouse. Now, Gentiles, as, now, believe it or not, you're probably thinking, like, what happened to our class? Watch this. <laughs> Here comes the wrap-up. Gentiles, he's divine from below up. Have a they do have a relationship with God. They just, I mean, they know there's a God up there, but their relationship's probably more with Jesus, or it's with, you know, this God or that God or whatever. You know, it's probably with something else altogether. It's not with God. They have some other relationship. It's a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. God's, reve God's revealing whatever he reveals. It's not that they don't have a relationship with God, but it's re God reveals what he reveals. Now, a lot of people love their girlfriend. God loves all people. He loves the entire world. But at Sinai, listen carefully, at Sinai, God shows everything. I mean, it's pre-67 where, where like, you know, the Gentiles get to, God holds his card close to the chest. Sinai, he puts it on the table for an entire nation, full revelation for an entire nation. He shows everything. Well, everything comes with responsibility, doesn't it? And you think a million times before you marry someone, right? Because it's going to come with a ton of obligation. But doesn't Judaism come with a ton of obligation? 
you get to see everything, and it comes with a ton of obligations. That's marriage. It's marriage. And that's what I was saying. Gentiles are God's girlfriend, and the Jews are God's wife. We get to see it all, but we have tremendous obligations. There's a lot of contract involved. Gentiles have seven commandments. Keep the seven, go to heaven. The Jews have 365 hyperlinks. When you click on them, they go to 55,000 laws. Because we saw the nakedness of God. We were, we were shown everything. He put his card on the table. Now, that brings wrath. You know, the Gentiles, yeah, they get an earthquake here, or maybe a sandstorm, a tsunami here and there, you know, like, I mean, he definitely is, you know, he could be rough on them. Jews get like, like, I mean, we just get reamed by God. Because it's a very different thing to be the wife. And so everything I just shared with you led us ultimately to understand anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. Because what is anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism is God's wrath in a targeted fashion. That's targeted wrath. Yeah, that anti-Semitism is targeted wrath. An earthquake nails Turkey, right? An earth, a tsunami nails Thailand, idolatrous country. But anti-Semitism, it's not fair to wipe out a whole country because Jews live there. So instead, God targets the Jews using Gentiles as the anti-Semites. It's targeted wrath. And the Torah tells us over and over again that the, that the Gentiles, that anti-Semitism, or Gentiles, will be used to corral us, the, called the sheep. We're called the sheep, among 70 wolves. And anti-Semitism tends to isolate us and remind us who we are. That we're ultimately God's spouse. And that's the, when we say Ishes Chayel, the, the good wife, the valorous woman, on Friday night, it's, it's actually referring to the Jewish people. It's not about the lady across the table, although it's nice to sing it to her. It's Kabbalistically really about the Jewish people, that we're, we are the wife of God. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.